Well, I want to begin with a movie quote because it really sets the scene for this passage this morning. Uh, the movie The Tuskegee Airmen came out about, gosh, 10, 15 years ago. It's a great movie about the true story of the first African-American fighter squadron. And there's this scene where the um, commander uh, of this squadron is testifying before a congressional committee because some people are just trying to shut them down because they, just, they don't want this squadron to be successful. And so he's trying to make the case for him as an African-American in general and for the squadron as well as to why they should be given a chance. And here's what he says. He says this. He says, As a United States Army officer who gladly puts his life on the line every day, there's no greater conflict within me. How do I feel about my country? And how does my country feel about me? Are we only to be Americans when the mood suits you. I want you to think about that, what he's saying there. Because that is the question of our cultural moment for earnest Christians. What are we to make of a country that now has forced gay marriage, tax-supported abortion, rampant income disparity, systematic corruption? What are we to do? How are we to handle politicians who love to end their speeches with God bless America, yet they do things that you know, oh, God does not want to bless that. Thank you very much. How are we to work? How are we to live? How are we to deal with a country that alienates us and more and more isn't really sure if it wants our kind around? We too really need to be asking the question, how does my country feel about me as a Christian? Am I only to be an American when it suits them? But if it doesn't suit them, and are my rights going to be compromised, cast aside? And how do I respond? We need wisdom. We need resources to understand and function in this world. And this is the change that has taken place in this second half of the book of Ecclesiastes. He's gone from examining the world under the sun, which is a system of choosing to ignore God, choosing to say, I don't know if God's there or not. Frankly, I don't care. I'm going to live as if he's not there. And, and so there's various coping mechanisms from education to status to career to sensuality, all these coping mechanisms. How do I make my life work under the sun? Now he's made this change to trying to make the case that you need wisdom. You need to acknowledge God in your life. You need to have His grace working in your life. And living in that grace, you can function in this world. He's trying to make the case for that. So he's made this very practical turn. And so today he's going to make this very specific, practical application about what wisdom looks like in our life in this world. So would you please look with me at Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. This is God's Word. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. 
For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be. For who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt. Now this is God's Word. Okay, so we're living life under the sun, a life that ignores God. And having spent six chapters reviewing the various coping mechanisms through pleasure or through education or through religiosity has been a big one. Now he's going to make the case for living in wisdom, what that looks like, how wisdom living in relationship with the Creator, how that provides resources for living in this world under the sun. He got really practical last week about how to live with other people. Now he's going to help us be honest about our own life and what does it look like for a person to live and walk in wisdom in the real world. And that gives us our theme for today. Here's where we're going. Hopefully we'll get there. Today we're going to examine how Living in God's grace makes us able to deal with this life. You see, gospel wisdom changes us so we can deal with everything thrown at us. And I don't know about you, but I can imagine if your life is anything like mine, which I bet it is, you get a lot of stuff thrown at you week in and week out. And it would be really nice to have resources to deal with it. And so let's see if God's Word can come true and do that. Give us the resources First thing we're going to see here in this text is that gospel wisdom changes how we live and work. We've got to ask the question, what is gospel wisdom? What does it look like? It says wisdom is an encounter with grace. He likes to use this term wisdom. It's not really a term we use very much, so don't think of like some you know, lofty guy who answers questions with why. Okay, no, what he means by wisdom is basically grace. Working in your life, that's wisdom. It's not something we gain. It's not something we achieve. He says, our life has had a collision with grace, and from that collision, we get wisdom. Here's what he says. Look with me at verse 1. He says, a man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. See, wisdom, he says, changes a person from operating out of their own strength to operating with different resources. If you remember last week, he told us everybody and everything, including himself, is completely messed up. The world doesn't work. Things are not like they're supposed to be. And so gospel wisdom comes and it gives us the purpose. It gives us the security we need. It gives us strength to work in that frustrating, broken world. Now, if you're still looking into Christianity, that sounds like a religious platitude. God's grace will help you work in a frustrating world. So I want to give you a tangible example of this from another culture and from an unexpected source that really shows what he's trying to say here. There's a journalist. His name is Matthew Paris. Um, He's an atheist. He was raised in Africa. And uh, he wrote an article about seven years ago, I believe, entitled, As an Atheist... I truly believe Africa needs God. And as you can imagine, it made quite a stir. He is unapologetically an atheist before, during, and after writing this article. 
And he admits this article contradicts his worldview. But he says, as a journalist, I'm reporting what I'm seeing, even if I don't believe it. Here's what he says. This is very profound. He says this. He said, in the city, we had working for us Africans who had converted and were strong believers. The Christians were always different. Far from having cowed or confined its converts, their faith appeared to have liberated and relaxed them. There was a liveliness, a curiosity, an engagement with the world, a directness in their dealing with others that seemed to be missing in traditional African life. They stood tall. Isn't that amazing for an atheist to say, this Christianity stuff makes a difference. He's almost quoting verse 1, right? Their wisdom has made their face shine. It's taken care of the hardness in their life. It's lifted them up. And the promise is that it can be the same for us. That the wisdom of God, the grace that comes to us in the gospel, it actually helps us live practically in a messed up world where the foundation has been rotted away. Well, that sounds so good, doesn't it? Okay, how do we do that? Again, what does that look like? Well, this pastor, this philosopher, he, what he's going to do is he's going to use our relationship to the government or to large institutions as an example. But as he's doing that, what I want you to do mentally is I want you to insert any relationship where you have to submit. So it could be to the government, it could be to an employer, it could be to a, a spouse or whatever you want to call. We could substitute anything where we have to submit and we're going to see that wisdom expresses itself in practical life skills. And so he's going to list some of those skills that gospel wisdom gives. So look with me at verse 2. He says this. He says, Keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Or an alternate translation could be, Observe the king's appointment because of God's promise. Remember, he's using government because it's very familiar to most people. But again, we can plug in any institution, anything where we have to submit. And what is he saying? He's saying this. Look, you're put into a position. Your boss is a jerk. You don't like your job. Do a good job anyway. Because God's grace has changed you. And now you live as his empowered representative. That's practical wisdom in a difficult situation. You see, in the Christian worldview, God has created the authority structures in the world under the sun. They're not independent of Him, even if they want to act like it. He still has ordained all authority. And so, rebelling against those in authority, teachers, parents, bosses, presidents, whoever it is, it actually shows a mistrust in God. It's not wisdom. And so he says, not only are we, to, are we to remain in that difficulty and be faithful in that difficulty, in the next verse he calls us to stay in that difficulty as long as possible. See, wisdom, he says, stays at its post, attempting to sway an arrogant ruler until remaining in that position would actually be confirming evil. See, there's wisdom there. He doesn't just say, stay at your post no matter what. No, he doesn't say that. He says, there's an out when evil is happening. You stay. You make your case. You try to convince of the good. But eventually there comes a time they're going to do what they're going to do. And so you have to back away. That's gospel wisdom. Does our faith give us that kind of staying power in difficult situations? 
Or have we bought into the lie that God wants us to be happy and He wants our life to be simple and easy? And so if it's hard, He doesn't want us to be there. We can bail. You see, wisdom, the change that comes about in life because of God's grace, gives us a principled loyalty for God's glory, even when it's hard. Even to an unpredictable authority. Even to a system with which we disagree. Government, career, relationships, church, whatever it is. Wisdom gives us a principled loyalty to it. See, and no one can have that kind of principled loyalty outside of God's wisdom. It just doesn't work. Outside of the gospel changing us and giving us that wisdom, we just can't do it. See, here's what it really comes down to. If I could sum this up, let's all look together at the kids' translation of verse 5. So boys and girls, get yours out. Let's look at verse 5 together. Here's what he's really saying. It says, the wise person will know what to do and when to do it. I don't know about you, but I really wish that that were true in my life a lot more. How about you? Yeah. I mean, that sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? You're thinking, Pastor Sean took a little bit of liberties there at the children's translation. So let's look at the real thing, okay? Let's look at verse 5 together. It says this, The wise heart or wise person will know the proper time and the just way. Or alternately, we could say, The wise have experience to make the right verdict. See how practical this is? God wants you to live in wisdom in your real life. Under God's grace, in gospel wisdom, as we obey the authorities over us, He says, you're not going to stumble into evil. He promises He won't let us. Okay, at this point you're thinking, okay, thank you for the political science lesson. This has been truly invigorating. I appreciate it. What do we do with this? Here's what we do with this. Imagine the freedom and the confidence for us if we actually believe that. If we actually believe that the gospel gives me wisdom, God promises as a wise person now, I will know what to do and when to do it, so I'm just going to go. We don't do that, do we? We analyze, we reanalyze, we measure, we stop, we look this way, we look that way. God, you shoot, God, God uh, um, give me a sign. God, um, give me indigestion or whatever internal thing that we look for. You know, right? We look for some sort of internal thing. I, I, as a professional, I still can't tell the difference between indigestion and the Holy Spirit prompting me. And if you can, I would love for you to give me wisdom on that because I can't. But So we look for something, right? God says go. And we're like, yeah, but wouldn't it be nice if we believe this and say, I'm just going to go because God promises. The wise knows what to do and when to do it. This seems right. I'm going to move forward. He promises he won't let me stumble into evil. Let's go. What confidence, what joy. Oh, man, we don't do that, do we? Just one quick example. How many of us are worried about the future? We're worried about, quote, the direction of the country. See, but God's Word says that if we're living in His grace, if we're living in His wisdom, we should have clear joy and hope. As we participate in this country, as we obey the laws, as we lobby hard for positive change, that's wisdom. See, and only anchored in the gospel can we do that. Because the gospel changes how we live and work. And so if we find ourselves operating out of fear, 
this country's going, you know, it's going crazy. We're losing the country. And so we withdraw. That's not gospel wisdom. That's not believing God's promises. Our belief should have us be at the forefront of things we think are important with the confidence that God says you'll know what to do and when to do it and I won't let you stumble into evil. Wow, what? What amazing things we could do. I almost feel like I should be quoting that Dr. Seuss book. Oh, the places you'll go, right? Just imagine if we believe that. The confidence and the freedom and the joy because gospel wisdom gives us practical skills for dealing with the world under the sun, which is right where the text goes next. As gospel wisdom helps us deal with life under the sun. So for the last seven chapters, he's been talking about the frustrations of life under the sun, how it's vaporous, how you try to get your hands on it and you just can't grab it. Here, he finally tells us, here is the source of your frustration. This is why life doesn't work out for most people and we feel it. You ready? Here it is. Verse 6. There is a time and a way for everything, but our burden, our trouble, the source of our frustration and unhappiness is that we don't know what to do and when to do it. We know what should be, but we don't know how to make it happen. And that's why so many of us don't live in the joy that we should. Because we're control freaks, right? We just can't stand not knowing. And in case we miss that this is the source of our frustration, he actually, if you're following along, he actually repeats himself in verse 7, the very next verse. He says the exact same phrase in verse 6 and verse 7 because the promise is there's a plan and a time for everything... But we don't know it. We don't know how it's going to all work out. We just don't know. And we want to know so desperately, and that is frustrating. And it's right in that frustration. Right as he shows shows us the source of our frustration under the sun is that we don't know. He gives us a hint of the good news because he tells us in verse 7 there, where he asks, well, who then can tell him how it will be? We need to know. We don't know what to do. Who? See, the question assumes that we have to get help from beyond mankind, humanity. We have to go find resources, to use the metaphor of Ecclesiastes, we have to find resources from over the sun to deal with life under the sun. And that's why it's good news. Because he says there is one who can tell us. There is one who's in control There is one who has ordained all these authorities. He is the one who can tell us how it's all going to work out. Now, if you've been paying attention, this is actually quite profound, especially if you're not really a church person, if you're just here today because you're being polite to somebody who invited you. Verses 2 through 5, if you're reading those from a kind of skeptical viewpoint, they sound a lot like social control, don't they? They sound a lot like Karl Marx's religion is the opiate of the masses. Let's just, you know, let's control people by convincing them that the spiritual world wants them to obey even when it's hard. That way they won't question the system. That's what Karl Marx meant by that. And verses 2 through 5 sound a lot like that. But we see here in verse 7, he wants us to question the system. He asked the question himself and he wants us to ask the question as well. Who can help us out of this broken system? Who can fix it? Who can give us knowledge? Because it's not working. Who can tell us how it's going to work out? 
And if you remember, one of the things we said is that Ecclesiastes asks the questions that the rest of the Bible answers. And so here is a biggie, Ecclesiastes asks. Who can tell us how to get along with wisdom in this frustrating, broken, sin-tainted world under the sun? See, and as an answer, the rest of the Bible introduces us to this remarkable person named Jesus. This remarkable person who is God in flesh, who is the final answer. The Bible tells us that everything God wants to say, He says in the person of Jesus Christ. You ever thought about it that way? That's what He means when He says, I have spoken in My Son. I'm done. Everything God wants to say, He says in Jesus. And so when we place our faith and trust in Jesus as the resurrected Lord, He then, as we read earlier, He then gives us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the same source of wisdom that Jesus used on earth. Did you catch that? Our glorious God doesn't hoard wisdom for Himself. The same Spirit He poured out on Jesus so Jesus could live in wisdom, so Jesus could be the perfect Redeemer of His people. That same Spirit of wisdom is poured out on the church in the Gospel. Hallelujah. We have the ultimate source of gospel wisdom to deal with life under the sun. We have the same resources Jesus used to deal with life under the sun. It is in submitting to Jesus as Lord that we get the resources to deal with life under the sun. See, to make sure we get all of this truth, verse 8 reminds us of how little power we humans actually have and how we've got to look somewhere else. Look with me at verse 8. Here's what he says. It says, No person has power to retain the Spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. What he says there basically is this. We don't know when we're going to die. And we couldn't stop it if we did. We live under that mystery. It owns us. It rules us. We can't stop it. Death is the ultimate determination in our life. We cannot outdetermine it. It is there. And so we have to find resources somewhere else. We can't be independent. And that's all life under the sun really is, is living as if we were independent trying to be independent from God. Living under the sun is choosing to ignore Him, to operate as if God's not there. But then all of a sudden this death thing shows up. And there's nothing we can do about it. We can't stop it. We can't see it coming. It's the ultimate frustration. And what God's Word here reminds us is that we deal with most other mysteries just as well as we deal with death. We are utterly defeated. That's very encouraging. Thank you, Solomon, for writing that. See, the emphasis of this passage is that we are uncomfortable in situations with things outside of our control. But really, the whole realm under the sun is outside of our control, thus our frustration. Even as those who've experienced God's grace in the gospel, the junk of life remains, right? 
When you became a Christian, all those situations didn't just go away, did they? They were still there. Wisdom doesn't make it go away, but gospel wisdom gives us the resources to deal with them. Even if we don't always understand, we can endure by God's grace is the promise of gospel wisdom. And again, that sounds like a religious platitude, doesn't it? God will give you the grace to endure. But God's Word reminds us we can't stop death, nor can we know when it comes. But there was one who did. He did know, and He did stop it. Jesus Christ, during His earthly ministry, repeatedly says to His disciples in all four accounts that we have of Him, I've got to go to Jerusalem to die. He said it over and over again, and they never quite got it. He knew the time and the manner of His death, and He walked right into that death. He knew so specifically, even the night before, He was praying in the garden, and He said, I don't want to die tomorrow. And He did it anyway. Then as an innocent man who did not deserve to die, the grave quite literally could not hold on to him, and so he burst forth from that grave on the third day, and he destroyed the power of death in his resurrection. So he did know in death, and he did defeat it. And now united to him, we have access to that same power that we didn't have before. So death, while still sad, of course, while still a time for mourning, of course, it's no longer a tragedy. It's no longer an assault on our individuality or an insult. In the Gospel, the sting of death is taken away. It no longer lords over us and defeats us. Instead, the ultimate victory that the Gospel gives us is that death is not our end, but actually a beginning to eternity. See, the same gospel that defeated death defeats the other mysteries that lord over us as well. That's how he brings us back. Remember what he says in verse 8? He says, look, death defeats you and every other mystery in life defeats you too. But guess what? The gospel defeats death and guess what? The gospel can be there to defeat these other things in your life that are mysteries that you don't know what to do and how to do it. And this is amazingly practical. And even right now in your heart, there's some resistance and you going, ah, I've got to keep this in the spiritual realm. This is getting kind of a little too real world. This must be some sort of spiritual meaning. No, this is real practical living. The gospel gives you strength to know what to do with your difficult co- co-worker tomorrow. If only we believed it was that real in our life. What freedom we would have. See, we must grasp on to the wisdom of God by living in the gospel daily. But a lot of us don't live in the gospel daily. And I'm talking to those of us in the room who have been Christians for a long time. We tend to see the gospel as something that happened in the past. We said some words. We walked an aisle. Something happened. We joined the church. And that was the gospel. It was all by grace. Absolutely none, none of my works. I can't boast. It was all Jesus. Praise God. But now, having gotten onto this team by grace, I've got to perform to stay on the team or to make sure I don't get benched. And so I've got to do and earn. I can't just rest because that's laziness. But see, living in the gospel daily says Rest in the work of Christ daily. 
Rest in what the gospel has done for you daily. That is living in wisdom. And then that grace will then empower you to act. And how will you act? You'll know what to do. And you'll know when to do it. What an unbelievable promise. If only we believe that. So let's take a stab at applying this passage practically as we wrap up. This has been very ethereal and philosophical and theoretical. I didn't write it. I apologize. So gospel wisdom, basically, how would we have gospel wisdom today? I would say gospel wisdom owns the fact that we live in a different America. Folly tries to ignore that fact and act as if nothing has changed. But wisdom actually embraces that change and says, God promises I'll know what to do and when to do it. No evil will overcome me. I won't stumble into evil. So I'm going to move forward in this different America for God's glory. I want to give you a picture of this. There's a web comic I highly recommend. The artist's name is Adam Ford. His website is Adam, the number four, and then D. So Ford that way, AdamFord.com. He had a comic just this week as I was preparing that I thought, you know, this is perfect. So I want to walk through this comic together. It's just four so we've got these guys walking along. It says this, you know, I feel like we're at the end of an era in our country. Doesn't it? I mean, it seems it seemed like that. For so long, Christianity was considered a good thing for our society. And they're walking out of this land that says what? America for the past few hundred years. Right next says what? It says, you know, Christians were generally liked. The Bible was considered a good book. Christian morals were considered standard. Christianity was kind of the norm. That's all changing now, and it's happening so quickly. How many people can totally relate? Right? This is class participation patient time. Raise your hand. Can you totally, right? Yes. Okay, next. It's not considered a positive thing to be a Christian anymore. From culture's point of view, it's so different. It's so weird. Now the other guy pipes up, right? Different? Yes. Weird? No. We're leaving weird. Okay, go on. We're heading toward normal. And what's the banner say? They're entering the land of what? Most of the world since the early church. Welcome. We don't like you. Wisdom says, oh yeah, that's how it's supposed to be. Wisdom reads things like we just read in Acts. Oh yeah, people want to ravish the church because they hate us. And God uses that to spread his gospel. Oh yeah, we've been in weird in America for the last couple hundred years. We're now entering normal in America. We're in hostile territory as Christians. And deep down we know it, but we don't like it, and so we try to ignore it. That's not wisdom. Jesus himself tells us this truth. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, what does Jesus say? He says this, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. See, Jesus unapologetically calls the world system wolves. And he says, I am sending you out among predators, and you're the prey. Go in wisdom in hostile territory. Be wise. See, if we walk in wisdom, we can help the world under the sun. In a world under the sun that has no real foundation, our culture basically says individuals are on their own. 
There's no overarching good. There's no overarching bad. There just is. And so what's good for you may not be good for me, but hey, you be good and I'll be good and we'll all be good together until our goods conflict and we got a problem. And what that does is, is it leaves us all very insecure. It leaves us all very intolerant of challenges to our beliefs because if you have a good and I have a good, well, if you don't like my good, are you saying I'm not good? Are you rejecting me? I mean, look at any issue. Voices of opposition are no longer engaged and debated with, are they? No. There's a what? There's a call to destroy them, silence them, run them out of business. I don't like their ideas, therefore we have to destroy them. See, that's how a culture works, that there's no overarching good or bad if we're all in this by ourselves. That's our hostile culture. I mean, it's a truism in our culture now. You realize your neighbors who don't go to church and your neighbors who may go to church, they assume this statement. It's never proven, and if you ask them to prove it, they'll look at you like you're insane. It's this. I am free to do what I want as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. That is our culture. That is an assumed dogmatic belief. And all that does is actually maintain a very frustrating system. See, but wisdom, on the other hand, as we saw in verses 2 through 5, it says, I will stay. I will engage in this weirdness. I will live here. I will serve here. I will submit to things I don't fully agree with. And I will try to make things better. And really, which community do you want to be part of? And so Christians in the room, I have to ask you, is this the kind of community we're known to be? That we stick, we stay, we don't necessarily agree, but we're trying to help you see a better path, and we're going to be loyal to you until you try to get us to do evil, but we're going to stay and work for positive change. I mean, like our Savior, do we stay in hard places? Do we do hard things? Do we, in wisdom, live as sheep among wolves? Or do we barricade ourselves up with our own kind and look out at the wolves and judge them? I know which one I'm tempted to do. Which one do we do? See, gospel wisdom gives us the courage and the desire to go out as sheep among wolves, to be out among people not like us in the hope that they could become part of our family. And if that doesn't describe your Christian life, you need to repent, and you need to ask God for wisdom. He will tell you what to do and when to do it, not me. Ask God for wisdom. And if you're a non-Christian and you're here today, that's the vision. That is the dream that Jesus has for his family, and I will just own that we in the church have been really not always at our best showing Jesus' dream for his family being out among the wolves, making a positive difference with the gospel. I admit that, but that's the dream. Because Jesus uses his power to make others safe, to make others secure, to make others joyful. And he sends his family out to do that same in his power, to spread the gospel to the world. And that grace is available to you in the gospel today. The gospel will give you the resources the wisdom to be the loving, supportive, strong, sacrificing person deep down you want to be, but often find that you can't be.
But in Jesus, with the gospel, you can do that. You can be that person. That is his dream for his people. Don't you want that? You can have it when you confess Jesus Christ as Lord. He will give you the resources to be that person. Let's pray together. How gracious, God. Lord, we thank you for your word. Even weird, difficult texts like this one, Lord, that challenge our fundamental beliefs. Lord, we thank you that you love us enough to challenge us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would give us wisdom for dealing with our country. Lord, we ask that you would give us wisdom for loving where you have put us and serving where you have put us, even when it's difficult, even when it's hard. Oh, Lord, would you do that? Lord, would you help us to be known as your people, as those who stick it out for your glory? Father, we pray that we would see in our lives, in our church, in our community, even in our country, that we would see your gospel change things for the better as we enter into a new era where our country looks at us and doesn't know what to think of us anymore. Father, would you help us live in the gospel daily? Would you give us that wisdom? We need it. We beg for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.